morning. How are you guys doing today? I hope that God is already ministering to you, that, that you feel incredible. I believe that God is going to touch your life today before you leave here. Huh? You believe that? Say amen. It helps to have a little bit of a spirit of expectation. So I believe that God is going to work in your life. You know, our mission at Faith Co. Church is to, we believe that it goes with, along with uh, his commission for us to make disciples. And we believe a disciple is somebody that is committed to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. In this series called How to Save a Life, what we're doing is we are exploring that phrase, uh, reach the world. We've been talking about what it is that when we reach the world, we save lives. Well, I'm going to kick this off with prayer, and I'm going to get started. We've got some special things that we want to do in this message. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. I pray, Lord, that you will help, help us to open up our hearts and our minds, God. Speak to people today by your Spirit in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, hey, thanks for saving lives. Now, you might not think that you've ever saved anybody's life before, but I want to tell you something. When you lead people to Christ, when you influence people for Christ, when you're an example, that helps save lives. But what if, what if we could bring a story in today and talk to you about somebody that specifically saves lives in their job for a living? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? That'd be cool if we could just bring up a story and bring somebody up and say, hey, man, this, this person saves lives for a living. That, don't you think it'd be cool if we did that? Okay, well, we actually, we actually do have somebody, but we're not going to bring him up here. I want to show you a video, then I'm going to come back and talk to you. Go ahead, guys. My name is Scott Kilgore. Um, I've been coming to Faith Co. for seven years. I'm married to my wife, Melissa. I've been married for 25 years, uh, and I've got two wonderful kids. Uh, my boy is named Creed. He's 16 years old, and my little girl is uh, named Kane and she's nine. I'm a firefighter at the Shawnee Fire Department uh, where I'm a captain. I've been a captain for, uh, I've worked there for 21 years. I am also the instructor for our Swiftwater team. Uh, I'm the Swiftwater coordinator at the fire department uh, and we've got all our training through Rescue Training International out of New Braunfels, Texas. This is an ABC News special report. Hurricane Harvey, state of emergency. We are coming on the air for breaking news. Hurricane Harvey barreling into the Texas coastline as a category four. When, uh, I believe it was Tuesday evening, I got the call uh, from one of my chiefs and said, uh, hey, we, we need to get a team together to go to Texas, to go to Houston. Uh, we got the call and they need us. Uh, one moment in particular, uh, hmm, which was special to me, um, was uh, a mother brought her daughter, my daughter's age, and uh, just walking down the row of boats as we're sitting there waiting for a call. And uh, as she come by, she hands me a white piece of paper folded up like a letter. She goes, we just want to give you this. And uh, I open it up, and it says, you know, thank you, uh, Mr. Rescuer, uh, for all that, you, that you're doing here. You're our hero. Uh, gave me a hug and personally, truly thanked me for, for what I was doing.
that day I was on kind of a, a recon mission uh, for a department to uh, find a training location for our Swiftwater rescue team. So I continue to do what I'm doing and I'm, I'm messing with my kids and I'm filling in the water and all of a sudden I hear Melissa, my wife, yell, Scott, grab her! And I turn around and I see my wife and she's pointing in the water. This six-year-old little girl had either fell off or bailed off into the water for whatever reason and she's going under. And in that moment I thought, is this really happening? I'm like, this is so surreal. And when things like this happen, and anybody that's ever had anything kind of traumatic happen to them, time slows down and almost stops. It, uh, everything's in slow motion. Uh, so as that happened, I see her going under, I start digging, and I'm swimming. You know, I'm swimming at her. And I'm thinking, I can't get there fast enough. I mean, this, she is flailing in the water. And she goes under again. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to, I've got to get there. And then I hear the mother, her mother, up on the hill, which apparently she didn't know she was in the water initially, screaming and yelling. And I'm looking, and I can see her running as I'm swimming toward the girl. And I just keep digging, and she's going under for a third time, and as she is, I just grab her and spin her around, and I've got her. And I'm like, I've got her. So I, I just, I knew instantly, I'm like, you know, I calmed down. She was still hysterical. The mother was hysterical. And I'm, you know, swimming her over there to the bank and get her up onto the, the wall. And uh, she was fine. But I knew in that moment that what I was doing, I was there at the right time, the right place, and God put me there, knowing that they were going to be there. And it just meshed. It just happened. For what for whatever reason it happened. Nothing's ever done, nothing's ever perfect, nothing's ever finished. There's always more to do, there's always something else to strive for. And to me that, that was just a, a God thing and uh, there's more in store for me, I know. Awesome story, yeah. Uh, he was actually in our first service. I said, man, we're going to, he didn't know I was going to, we were going to put him on there. He just did a video for us or did a, an interview with us. But, you know, I, I think probably one of the most significant things that you can do for somebody, if you ever get the opportunity, uh, most of us never get the opportunity to actually save a person's life. But what if I told you that the way the Lord looks at us reaching people is saving lives? I mean, we think of it as, man, if we could save somebody's life in this life. But our Lord Jesus, he looks at the, us reaching people. He looks at us spending time with people, reaching out to people, reaching out to people that are, that are lost. He reaches out to them through us. And what that does is that saves lives, not so much in this life, but it saves people in the next life. That's how he looks at things. In Luke, the 19th chapter and the 10th verse, Jesus says this. He says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. The Bible puts people into two different categories, those who are saved and those who are lost. Jesus came into the world, he said, to seek and to save those who are lost. 
we can see that Jesus had an incredible mission. And he was very clear about his mission. That was to save people that were lost. And there were people always around pulling at him. There were religious leaders many times that were trying to change his mind. Or get him to focus on other things. Hey, you don't need to be hanging out with those people. Jesus, you don't need to be doing things like that. Jesus would look at them and say things like, hey, it is the sick that need a physician. I have been called to those that are lost because people are lost. That was his mission. That is our mission. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Past few weeks, we've been talking about this. We talked about why we've been talking about how we are been we have been called to be lifesavers. And then we talked about how you can be a lifesaver. You can reach people who are lost by simply doing a few things. First of all is being a neighbor. And then we talked about how you can be an example. And then last week we talked about how it is important to be an evangelist. That you can save lives by being an evangelist. Now, I don't know if you were here last week, but when we hear the word evangelist, we sometimes think of a person. We think of an individual, a guy with slick back hair and a dark suit that, you know, with, with a few one-liners that get, gets the crowd going. But in actuality, an evangelist is somebody who fulfills God's will and calling. If you look at the word evangelist in the Greek, it means someone who brings and shares the gospel or the good news of Christ. So there is an evangelist sitting right next to you. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you're an evangelist. It's somebody, some person who says yes to the calling of God and his or her Lives, And we talked about how if you're going to be an evangelist, the first thing that you got to do is you got to love people. That, that be, not being a people person, that's not a good reason to not reach people for Christ. That the gospel is a love story and it's all about people. The second thing that we saw, if, if we're going to reach people with the gospel, we've got to be a witness. And what a witness is, is that's per, that is a person who can give their own personal account about how God touched their lives. Because there can be no argument with your personal witness or with your personal account for the Lord. In fact, that is the best thing. That is the best way to reach people. It is the most significant way to reach people. Because most people come to Christ because of their friend. So as You are a witness. You reach people for Christ. You are an evangelist. And the third thing that we talked about is that an evangelist must be an ambassador. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, Jesus said this, or the scripture says this, that we are ambassadors for Christ. That God pleads to the world. He reaches the world through us. I want you to think about that for a second. That God's best plan for reaching the world is you and me. Therefore, everything that we do, we read last week, everything that we do must represent Lord, or it must be done in a way that we represent Lord. We've got to be careful about how we do things. We must be mindful of the way that, that when people know that we live for God, that, 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 that when we do things, people understand that, that, that when we live for God, that it is important that we... Are, what am I talking about? I hate it when... That when we live for God... We must understand that we represent Christ. Amen? I always like it when I start talking and and, and my brain disengages. You didn't recognize that maybe, but I started doing it. I'm going to continue with that conversation as we talk about evangelizing. And I want to talk to you about how the Bible says that we must do a, a few certain things. To review, we must love people. We must be a witness. Number three, we must be an ambassador. And number four, we must be salt. We must be salt. 
Look at your friend and say, you need to be salty. Now, we think of that term, that's a different term in the next generation, that salty, I think it means angry or upset or something like that. But when I grew up, salty meant you were really good at something. You were seasoned at something. You were, you were really, really good. You, if you were a salty basketball player, you were a really good basketball player. Well, to be salty or to be salt, and the scripture also says that we are to be light. I'm going to talk more about that next week. But to be salt is to make a difference in this world. In Colossians 4 and 5, it talks about this. It says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, this verse is specifically related to people that don't know Christ. This is, this is telling us, in fact, I could spend a whole message on just this verse because it is telling us how we are to deal with people that are not believers. It begins by saying this. It means walk. It says walk with wisdom. In other words, whatever we do and how we deal with people, it is led by wisdom. We should take a step back. Size up a situation and say, hey, I'm going to be encountering people that don't know Christ, so I want to walk in wisdom. It might be a good idea to pray for wisdom when we know that we're going to be in an environment where people don't know Christ. Another thing is, it says here that time spent with people must not be wasted. He says this, making the best use of time. We should see opportunities or we should see time spent with people that don't know Christ as an opportunity. Amen? It's not just time spent. We're not just wasting time. We're not just hanging out with people. If these people don't know Christ, I should take a step back, size up that situation, and say this is an opportunity for somebody. I'm not talking about winning everybody. I'm not talking about doing the the Romans road to salvation every time you encounter somebody that knows Christ. But you should take a look and say, hey, maybe I plant a seed in somebody's life today. Maybe the time that I'm going to spend with Fred or or my friend or or, or the girl that that I like or whatever, maybe this time that I spend with my family member that doesn't know Christ, I just sow a little bit of a seed. I'm not going to spend the entire environment talking about Jesus, but I'm just going to sow a little bit of seed. Maybe I talk a little bit about our church, or maybe I take just a little bit of time and talk about bikes for kids or how we make a difference in this life. Just sow a little bit of seed. Make the most of every opportunity. Then he says this, let your conversation, let your speech always be gracious. We should pay attention to what we say and our words, that, that our words have power. That our conversations must be gracious and kind and pleasant. Do people like it when we talk? Do they, do, they, do they kind of check out when we're saying things? Ask yourself this. And lastly, he says this. He says, so that you may know how you ought to so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Have answers for the questions that people have. You don't have to know all of the answers, but we should have, we should have some significant knowledge of, of what the Bible says about what it is to be saved. For example, what if somebody were to ask you, they were to say, hey, what is it to be a Christian? Or how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm a Christian? Let me ask you a question. If you've spent any time in our church, we talk about that. Are you paying attention? You don't have to have incredible knowledge about the Bible. But there are things that you need to know in order to save lives. It's kind of like this. If you're a fireman and you have swift water training or whatever, and it's about saving lives and people are out in the water, it might be necessary that you know how to swim, right? 
It's important that if you're going to jump in the water and save a life, you better know how to swim or we got to save both of you, right? So there's things that we need to know. There are things that, that we need to have answers to. Can you tell somebody how to be a Christian? You know Romans 10, 9 and 10? That if you believe with your heart, confess with your mouth, that, that God raised him from the dead, you'll, you'll be saved because with the heart we believe and with the mouth we confess. It's as simple as that. You don't have to know all the different characteristics. You don't, know how, you don't have to know all the apologetics of the Bible. You don't have to understand every bit of the book of Revelation. But saving lives, can you tell somebody how to get saved? We must have answers. You believe that? Say amen. Here's a thought. And as I was putting this message together, I got to thinking about this. Could we, as followers of Christ, could we be getting this wrong? I mean, if that be the case, are we, are we doing this all wrong? Could it, in fact, be important that we have intentionality to reaching people? That Maybe we're thinking, if the opportunity ever rises, I'm going to lead somebody to Christ. Or if it, ever, if it ever comes up in a conversation, if my friend ever, ever brings up Jesus or ever brings up the church, that will be a good opportunity. But maybe we're looking at this all wrong because maybe, just maybe, True evangelism takes intentionality. Or maybe it takes a little bit of strategy. Or maybe it takes a little bit of effort or forethought. You see, if that be the case, if evangelism takes a little bit of effort, thought, maybe strategy, maybe it takes a little bit of planning, then if that be the case, then maybe I need people skills. I know that that sounds simplistic, but it's true. I've heard people say, I've heard people in, in the church say, you know, I... I, I I really don't like people. Or I'm really not a people person. Or I'm, I'm shy. Well, I want to tell you something. We've got to move past that. Because we've got an incredible job. We've got a mission from God. And we've got a limited amount of time to reach a world that is dying. We don't have time for us to be shy or not a people person. Or I don't like hanging out. Or I don't, I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable sharing Jesus. We don't have time for that. You've got to, that is in our job description, that we are to be witnesses, that we are to be salt. That is our mandatory, that is our mandate. It's kind of like walking in Chick-fil-A and getting a job and saying, hey, uh, uh, I want to work for Chick-fil-A. Okay, you got to say this. Well, I don't like to say my pleasure. I'm kind of shy. What do you mean? I don't like to say my pleasure. I don't like people that much. And I really don't like to wait on people. You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, you're going to learn today. If you're going to work here. In this environment, there's a few things that you're going to do and there's a few things that you're going to say because this is part of your job. Listen, we must understand this. This is power, part of our job. We have signed up as followers of Christ, as ambassadors for Christ. We've got to cross that bridge of, of getting past ourselves. Amen? The next thing, I, I just don't need people's skills, but I need to grow in my understanding of outsiders. Don't miss this. I need to grow in my understanding of people that don't know Christ. You see, we kind of get in a, a bubble after a while. You come to church for 10, 15 years. All of your friends, you, maybe you've gotten them saved, hopefully. And then what happens is all of our friends are Christians. We don't understand. We kind of check out of life as far as people that don't know God. We don't know how to talk to people because we don't understand their lives. We don't understand. Man, we've been given a hope. So when we lose somebody in a funeral or we lose somebody and we're at a funeral, you know, we have this hope that we're going to see them again. But people who don't know Christ don't have hope. I mean, we, we, we wake up every single morning. We might pray, Lord, use me today. 
Lord, I pray that you will bless me today. We kind of depend on God, that, that God is going to move in our lives. We'll ask God to help us in a job situation. Hey, God, will you move in my life? Give me favor in this certain circumstance. People who don't know God, they wake up every day thinking, it all depends on me. And, that, and people live very differently than us. So it might ask you, or it might benefit you to ask yourself, hey, shouldn't I try to understand how other people who are not like me think? Because you're not going to reach anybody for Christ if you don't understand a little bit about their lives. Amen? If I'm going to be an evangelist, if I'm going to reach people, it's going to, be, it's going to take some intentionality about me having some people skills, growing in my understanding of outsiders. And lastly, it's going to challenge me to know more about the Word of God. My knowledge about God, and as I said before, it is important to understand the things that we must know. There are things in the Bible. You don't need to understand everything that happened in Leviticus and all the Old Testament laws. Those things are true, but they're not necessarily relevant to what we're doing today. There are many things in the Old Testament that I love, but I really can't use or preach about because it, it doesn't make sense. Do you know what a scapegoat is? Or do you know why they did the sacrifice and what they did with the fat of the lamb? That's, that stuff's not necessary for us to know. Know that... But there are things in the scripture that it is very necessary for me to know in order to reach people to Christ. Amen? So those things we must know. We must grow in God's word. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to grow. And then the scripture goes on to say that we should be seasoned with salt. Seasoned, our conversation should be seasoned with salt. I find it interesting that... The author there, the, the writer says that our conversation should be seasoned with salt. Salt is not only the most popular seasoning, it is the most useful. I mean, you ever tried to eat pork or ham without it being cured by salt? You can't eat it. I mean, think of the term cured. What, what does a pig need to be cured from? Is it sick? You know what I'm saying? We got Think about that. We have to douse it in salt for a week and maybe a little bit of sugar or honey it's got to set and marinate for a solid week before we can even eat it maybe that might not be too good for us it needs to be cured it's diseased we're going to cure it okay here it is eat up about 20 years ago we were going hunting down in the Kaimishi mountains and we drove as far as we could up into the mountains. We wanted to go where no man had gone before. We, it was hunting season. We wanted to get away from everybody, and that's exactly what we did. We drove our trucks as far as we could. Then we took our four-wheelers as far as we could. Then we hiked, and we were like up on top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere. And then after that, uh, I decided that I want to hunt about a mile away from camp. So I hiked you know, through the mountains, of, and uh, I was way out in the middle of nowhere. I was for certain nobody had ever been here before. I mean, I don't know why that's necessary, but in my 20s, that's where I wanted to hunt. You know, nobody's ever been here before. And we were hunting deer, and I had my bow with me. And all of a sudden, like, you, do you call a bunch of pigs a herd? A herd of pigs? Okay, a herd of pigs. We'll call it that. A herd of pigs and wild boar came in front of me. And, man, I'm thinking, I know I'm hunting deer, but wild hogs? There's a black boar out there? I mean, we, you can't pass that up, right? So I'm thinking... I had this thought in my mind, we're having, we're having pig for dinner. We'll roast him on an open fire, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a good time. So I shot this pig, and first of all, 
when you kill a deer, if this is interesting to you, when you kill a deer, a deer runs away and dies somewhere. You don't know what happened, right? When you kill a pig, he lays down and squeals. I felt terrible. I was like, I walked up there. I was like, gosh. You know, and I got there, and he wasn't as big as I thought he was. I was like, I killed Wilbur. <laughs> you know? So I did everything I had to do to get him ready to go. I'll leave that part of the story out. But uh, I tied him up, and I, I, you know, I drugged this thing. It took me an hour to take him through the mountains. And I drug him up, and all the guys that were at camp were like, cool, you got a pig. And then he ran up. They all ran up there. I kid you not. This is what they said. They went, you killed Wilbur. <laughs> I mean, he weighed at least 40 pounds. <laughs> so we strung him up, and I'll leave, you, leave out the details. But we strung him up. We decided we were going to eat him. We roasted him on open fire. And it was terrible. We couldn't eat it. It tasted so bad. Why? Because it wasn't cured. I mean, let me just tell you something. It ain't what you think it is. Next time you think you like ham, go down to Cracker Barrel, march in there, and don't order this sugar-cured ham. Order the country ham and try to eat that. You know, guess what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. But the thing is, it must be cured. Some foods, the only way that you can eat them is they are cured with salt. Listen, even the best foods, the best vegetables that we can have, the things that are very, very good for us, taste a little bit better with a little bit of salt on them, right? In the same way, God has called us to be the salt of the earth. Listen to what Matthew says. These are the words of Jesus. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor or its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You see, we live in a world that is sick. We live in a world that is dying. We live in a world that needs a cure. And the answer is Jesus. And Jesus tells us, and he gives us this mandate, he gives us these marching orders, that just as I am the salt of the earth, you are going to be, you're going to represent me. You're going to be the cure through the earth. I'm going to leave. You're going to be my body. You're going to be my body walking around the church. But if the salt has lost its purpose, what are we good for? Therefore, we must fulfill the purpose that God has given to us as his church. Our purpose is to make this world a better place. Say that with me. Our purpose is to make this world a better place. Say it again. Our purpose is to make this world a better place. You know, sometimes I'm not so sure we always get that right. I'm not so sure that we always get that right in church. And, uh, we, I mean, we have the best intentions, but things happen with us as Christians and, and things happen with us in our families and things happen in us within the church. I mean, we have so many problems as followers of Christ that when the world looks at us, I'm not so sure that we're making this world a better place. A few weeks ago, when this hurricane hit, Houston, I mean, the fourth largest city in our nation. I actually get the opportunity to go down there this week and look at some of this. But, man, I was, I was thinking, man, the church is going to come together and they're going to do some significant things down in Houston and all the churches that I'm connecting with and people, man, man, the church is just wrapping around and things are happening. I mean, they're just turning the world upside down. The church is the most significant force at this time. They do more work than just about anything. And then, but wouldn't you know, right in the middle of that, I think, um, if I say, it's, it's Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church. He didn't open his church fast enough or something like that. 
I mean, they didn't, they, it's almost like they were looking for opportunities to criticize this ministry. I mean, he's an easy target. But I mean, the largest church in our nation. And the media found an article that some random guy went and took a video of his church. Did you guys see this? I mean, I got tired of seeing this stuff. It went on for about four or five days until three days later he said, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but here's the way it's, this is the truth. The, the media ran with that. It, the, the, the video on Facebook went viral of, of his parking lot and all that. It just made me sick. Here's what made me sick. All the church people who jumped on that, all the church people, all the Christians that jumped on that said, see, I always told you this guy's this and, and this guy's that. And I don't know, I don't know Joel Osteen. Maybe this week I'll, I'll have my people call his people and we'll set up a lunch or something. I can tell you the people that I know that know him say he's the real deal. I can't tell you about his ministry, and I'm not trying to promote anything he's doing. I'm just telling you, I'm using this as an example because this is what we do as church so many times. Instead of wrapping around and looking for an opportunity right in the middle of a crisis, we start pointing fingers and looking for opportunities to tear somebody down if we're not careful. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, I was, I've, I've, like I said, I was, it made me go and look at some of the things and do a little bit of different, different research. And it turns out that there was a, as a plan to everything that they were doing, that they, didn't, they really didn't come out and say all the things that they were doing, but there was actually a strategy from day one that they were planning. I mean, if you open up a, a 20,000 stadium place and say, everybody just do whatever you want to do, we know what happened you know, at Katrina, right? You can't do that. They had to have a strategy. They had to have a manpower. And then, they, and then it goes from that to we're seeing pictures of his house and and Houston and all that, and the guy makes an incredible amount of money. I know he's, he's worth millions, but here's what they're not saying. He's an international speaker. He's a best-selling author. Everything that he sells is like, everything he says is like gold. I mean, God is blessing him. It's incredible, but here's what they're not saying. He pastors Lakewood Church for free. He pastors the largest church in the nation for free. He's been doing it for, for years. Nobody ever came back and said that. Nobody, all these people that jumped on the bandwagon, all the church people, all the pastors that had a word for him, that had no idea what they're doing, nobody came back and said, oh, my bad. No, they don't do that. Here's the deal. We can do more harm than good in the name of the Lord. And I've seen it a hundred times in church. God starts blessing the church. God starts moving. All of a sudden, we don't agree with somebody's, what somebody's doing across the, 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 the aisle. We don't agree with somebody, what somebody's doing over here. If we're not careful, we'll start pointing fingers. But living for God, because is, is, it's very important that we live a holy lifestyle. But a holy lifestyle is about a co- personal commitment with God. If the church comes to a place where we're all about holiness and put it on our sign out there that we're the holy church of whatever, people can't live up to the standard. I mean, it's a club then, and we keep sinners out. That's not salt. That's mace. We will repel sinners. We will repel the next generation. Listen to me. I've been through it before. I've seen it many, many times. If we come to a place where it's about living a standard and it's not focused on reaching people for Christ, we will run people out of here. Amen? We might as well be Mason sinners. What happened to you? I went to Faith Christian Outreach. You can't get in there. They got a terrible standard. Gosh, I guess I need to get back to my notes here. Let me tell you something. Salt makes everything better. 
It makes everything better. And God has called us to make this world a better place. I got two more points I can't get to today. I spent too much time on this one. I'll finish it next week. And what happens is we've got to remember that. We've got to remember that while we're sitting in church on Sunday, that, that the reason that we meet and that we gather on Sunday mornings is so we can be built up and God can pour spiritual things and inside the word of God and all these things into our heart that we receive so we can go out into a world that needs God and we must never forget that. And I'm telling you right now, as long as I'm pastor, we will never forget our mission. I'll bring it up every single Sunday. If people aren't being saved, I'll bring it up. Hey, listen, we got to be doing this. I'll remind you on a weekly basis that we're here to reach the lost. You believe that? Say amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. And thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be a part of your church. You've called us to be salt. You've called us, Lord, to reach people with the gospel. And sometimes, Lord, even as a church, we can forget that. If we're not careful, we can forget, Lord, that there are people that are saved and there are people that lost. And you called us to reach the lost for Christ. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to every person that is here today, that you will move on behalf of what you want to do in the lives of people. God, I pray that you will strengthen every person here and that you will challenge us in a way that changes us in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed and maybe you're praying, If you're here today and God is moving on your life, maybe this message is challenging you in a way that God is speaking to you about something that's going on in your life. Hey, hey, I, I really feel like I can do better with my walk with God. If we're not careful, we will forget the purpose that God has put in our lives. And yes, God wants us to be saved. Yes, God wants us to be blessed. But there is a purpose beyond that, and that is reaching other people for Christ. And sometimes that can get muddied. Sometimes that can be forgotten. Maybe you're hearing God is dealing with you right now about this. If that be so, let me pray with you right now and agree with you in prayer. That whatever happens in your day to day, that we remember God has called us to be salt and that means we make this world better. That means we make a difference in this life. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. I pray, Lord, that you will minister to every person wherever we are. And Father, that you will bring change into the lives of people. And Father, I pray, God, that wherever we are, right now, right now, God, in this moment, not only will you challenge us, but you'll change us. Lord, I pray that we grow in this, that we remember that our lives isn't just about us, that going to church isn't just about me being blessed. It's not just about you working in my life. You work in my life because there are other people that you want to save. In the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, I want to pray one more prayer. If you're here today 
and you don't know Christ, he's not Lord and Savior of your life. You can say, Travis, I'm not right with God. Maybe you can say, he has never, he has never, or I have never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you can say that. The other thing you might be able to say is, I, I walked away from God. I'm not living right with God. And I think that God is calling me home today. Whatever the case may be, you know you're not in the right place with God, but you want to be. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come down here. I'm not going to ask you to stand, single you out. I just want you to pray right where you're seated, just the way we prayed. But I just, I'm just, I just want to know that I'm praying for people, and I want to know who's serious about this. So just between you, me, and God, you can say, Travis, if you'll pray, I'm going to pray that with you, and I'm going to make things right. Just slip your hand up and slip it down very quickly. See your hand over here. Anybody else? See your hand in the back. See your hand over there. Anybody else? Anybody else, Travis? That's me. I'm going to give my life to Christ today. I'm going to make things right. I'm serious about this. One more time, I'm going to ask, then we'll move on. Anybody else say that? See your hand right there, sir. Anybody else? Okay, we're going to pray. And as we pray, if you lifted your hand, repeat this prayer after me. Mean it with all your heart. Today's the day you make things right with God. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as I am before you today, I give you my life. Jesus, today, I make you Lord and Savior of my life. I confess that you are my Savior. And I believe in you, that you died for me and rose from the dead. Forgive me for all of my sins and wash me whole. I am yours from this moment on. My life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate.